Welcome to the ACC Basketball Report. I am your host, Michael Hunter, also known as at Picone36 on Twitter. Welcome to episode number 13. Really happy to be here with you on a last day of the tournament weekend, Sunday morning in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> crazy tournament so far, not as many upsets uh, as we've seen in the past, but certainly some of the most historic upsets we've seen in the past. Uh, before we get into that, please remember, uh, get on iTunes, like, rate, review, share with your friends, share with your siblings, tell your mom um, about what we're doing here, what I'm trying to build here, and uh, really appreciate any assistance you guys can help. Uh, the numbers are increasing, so I know that uh, certainly some people are, are getting the word out as far as as what I'm trying to put together here. Also, uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, this is a crowdfunded podcast. Simply go to accbasketballreport.com, which is the written content that goes with this podcast. Click on the RSS feed on the right-hand side. That'll take you to my Podbean page. Click Be a Patron. That will allow you to support the show monetarily. I appreciate it. Any assistance you guys can give, um, you know, you know, it's just a great thing to try to build a fan base and to try to earn your respect, your respect as a fan or as fans is something I uh, I really like to do and uh, I'm really intending to do if you're still on the fence about how you're feeling about this show. First thing I want to get into today is the overall performance of the ACC in this basketball tournament so far. Uh, five of the nine teams did win in the first round. Um, <clears throat> going to go down through some stuff real quick. Obviously there's a huge elephant in the room when it comes to this conference and this podcast this morning. Uh, first, though, I want to talk about Virginia Tech. They basically performed, I think, how we all anticipated they would perform. Uh, played well early, let it slip away. Colin Sexton went ballistic. Uh, Virginia Tech just, you know, I, I like their talent. They're, they're better talented. They're a more talented team than Alabama, okay? They're uh, they're a better team than Alabama, I think. Alabama's a 19-15 and 15 team that got hot in the SEC tournament and was one of the last teams in this tournament. Um, I haven't looked at the metrics, but I would assume the metrics are better when it comes to Virginia Tech compared to Alabama, and they still lost. You know, it's been an issue with Virginia Tech, which is kind of weird because I think Buzz Williams is a fantastic coach. Um, I think the perimeter talent is some of the best in the country, um, definitely in the ACC. And, you know, front court depth is something I've harped on all year regarding this team. They get that next year in the return of Kadeem Sai who is returning to the program after taking a year off and going Juco but never playing, and then he came back to Blacksburg. So I'm not really sure what's going on with Kadeem, but next year um, they've got him coming in, or coming back, I should say, to back up Blackshear. Um, I assume NAW is going to be back. They also have a kid named uh, Landers Nolly who's coming in, uh, who's a fantastic shooter out of North Carolina. Um, this is going to be a good team again next year. Um, we're just going to see if they know how to win games. Uh, that's, a, that's a thing that... Ha ha afflicted them all year is just couldn't put teams away uh, couldn't put games away in the second half go through long cold streaks I, I think as long as buzz is there they have a chance to improve and I expect Virginia Tech to be in the top half of the ACC again next year um, we'll get into stuff like that more in the offseason when I start doing some offseason stuff some recruiting stuff recruiting classes uh, when everybody's done the tournament we'll do uh, postseason grades um, things of that nature uh, NC State <laughs> Uh, NC State. NC State basically showed in this tournament why people laugh at them 
when they seemingly demand respect given to the other two teams on Tobacco Road, of course, talking about North Carolina and Duke. They, just when they think they're dispelling the stigma on them as a program, they go out and they lose in the first round of the ACC tournament to Boston College, a game they should not lose, a game they were favored in, and then they go out in the tournament and, aside from Al Freeman, just look like hammered ass. I mean, I thought your seven matched up very well with Delgado as far as how they use him on the perimeter. I thought Delgado would not want to be chasing him around the perimeter, and your seven ends up with two points and fouls out of the game. You know, this I think Kevin Keats was a great hire. You know, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to go back on that. I'm going to grab a sip of water here. But I think some of the stuff this year with him was excellent and effective propaganda by a rabid fan base. Um, you know, they did lose to UNCG, which, you know, that, that's not a bad loss. UNCG held with Virginia for quite a while, the very first game of the season. But, you know, I think Keats did a good job for playing with guys that weren't his players. Um, I bought into NC State uh, absolutely all the way. I thought they were the fourth best team in this conference at the end of the season. But they just, you know, that program, there's something about it. It just seems to let you down. Um, and the fans, I, I, you know, I think they still, they still – uh, expect to get the respect that they received when they were winning championships, winning ACC championships. And it's just not there yet. Keats is a good coach long term. I think he's going to have NC State maybe where they ought to be. But when it comes to Tobacco Road, when it comes to the triangle, they're just not on the same level as Duke, North Carolina. I don't know if they ever will be as long as Coach K and Roy Williams are sitting in those, those gymnasiums. So I think NC State's trajectory is, is going the correct way. But uh, this team, was a, this was a real disappointment. I had them as an Elite Eight team facing Duke. Um, this, was, this was crazy. I didn't think they should have lost Seton Hall, and I thought they had a better than average chance of beating Kansas. Uh, moving on, you know, to another team that I've been down on. Of course, the team that I'm really high on loses in the first round in fantastic fashion. And then the team that I'm really down on that has a play-in game to the tournament, uh, Syracuse, ends up winning two games. They beat Arizona State and TCU now both. Um... What do you say? You know, the, the the zone is fantastic. They have the length in that zone. They are terrible on offense. But, you know, I guess if, if, the, if as long as you're scoring more points than the other team, it really doesn't matter what you look like on the court, right? Um, that's basically what it comes down to. I'm eating a lot of crow here. I don't like the taste of it. It's burnt. It's grainy. It's gamey. It's gross. I don't like it. Uh, they play today. I expect them to get eliminated. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about is... The one player that I've been waiting to bust out at Syracuse all season finally did in the TCU game. Uh, Merrick Dolajai had 17 points, four rebounds, and you know it, that's the player that I was expecting most of the season. Um, you know he's not there yet to be that player consistently, but that is a flash of what you can expect moving forward from him. I think. I think when he gets to his junior year, he's going to be a force in this league. So keep an eye on Merrick Dolajay. Um, Duke has basically looked unstoppable in their two tournament games. Yesterday they completely dismantled Rhode Island. Um, Gary Trent, Wendell Carter Jr., those guys don't play like freshmen. Okay, Watching Gary Trent shoot, same motion, same, same everything, every shot, just pure and stepping up in a big situation yesterday. He was great in the first half. 
uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is just a monster. And I think while Bagley is more talented and will ultimately probably earn more money in the league, Wendell, Carter's Ju- Wendell Carter Jr.'s game is... He's more of a hard worker, blue collar, hard hat, lunch pail kind of guy, and I, I love watching him play. Um, I don't think he should be eligible this season, but that's a whole different story. Uh, you know, Bagley, when it comes to Duke, he's the best player in college basketball. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft. I think he's going to lead this team to a championship. I called it at the beginning of the season, of course, before I was doing this podcast, but it's on my website, accbasketballreport.com. Um, I, I think Duke is going to win it all here. I think the road lays out pretty well for them. I think the only thing they really have to fear is maybe Michigan State in the next round and Villanova in the Final Four. Other than that, I don't see a whole lot of obstacles in their way. Obviously, those are two very large obstacles, but they've already proven they can beat Michigan State, and that matchup, if it if it uh, comes about with, with Villanova, is going to be... That's, that's the championship game. In my opinion, that's the championship game. Um, especially now that Arizona and Virginia have lost. But... You know, with Bagley, you have a guy that can do it all. And with Carter, you have a rim protector, which they play a really weird zone. If you watched the game yesterday, they play a 2-3, but it's severely modified. Um, The wings on the baseline really are playing out on the elbow, uh, out on the wing. And it kind of looks like a crab, almost. It's really strange looking. But Carter is so good that he's still getting blocks, protecting the rim, and Rhode Island still couldn't score. It was it was fantastic. I think Carter's a future defensive player of the year in the NBA. He reminds me of a, like a Ben Wallace with a 1,000 times better offensive game. I, I think he is just, I think he's a fantastic player. I can't wait to watch him in the NBA. Um, UNC easily dispatched to Lipscomb, the 15 seed, plus 18 on the glass, uh, held Lipscomb to 36% shooting, 7, 20, 7 for 28 from deep. You know, playing in North Carolina's game. That's their game. They're going to beat you on the glass and hopefully clamp down on you on the perimeter. You know, Lipscomb really never had a chance in this game. UNC moves on. Uh, Clemson took care of uh, New Mexico State in a popular upset pick. It was actually one of my picks as an upset. Um, I really like New Mexico State for one reason. That reason was Zach Lofton. He did have a game, uh, 29 points, lit him up. But the the next best player had 13. Nobody else was in double figures. Uh, Clemson was up 12 at half, kind of cruised. Uh, Sheldon Mitchell, Gabe DeBow, Mark Bruce Reed combined to go 25 of 42 from the field to score 60 points. If they're able to do that, they're they're going to cause some some trouble in this uh, this tournament. Uh, they play again today. I'll get to that game in a second. Florida State beat Missouri. I picked Missouri in this game foolishly. Uh, I'm always on the wrong side of Florida State. It seems like uh, Mizzou was without Jordan Barnett, who uh, got busted for a DWI before the tournament. Uh, Savoy and Kevin Gelly combined for 26 points off the bench, but the biggest story here is uh, FSU loses Terrence Mann to a groin injury. He is their most pivotal player. He's probably their most gifted scorer, even though the, on that team they're all pretty even as far as scoring goes. Uh, being so deep, and I've, I've talked about this numerous times on this on this podcast over the course of the season. You know, I expect Trent Forrest to step in and, and perform. Well, I think in this spot, I think that would be it was either him or MJ Walker at this point, I believe. Um, I just don't know if they have enough consistent scoring to be relied upon in this next round. We're certainly going to find out today. It's going to be a game I'm going to be very interested in. It's going to probably be on the muted TV, um, but I'll be having an eye on that. Missouri, you know, I got uh, goo goo eyes over Michael Porter Jr., John Tay Porter. Um, 
Cassius Robertson, you know, you, when you see the talent but you don't see it perform, you know, what basically what I forgot here was Florida State's playing against the only team in the country that has a more has a coach that's more disappointing with more talent than Leonard Hamilton, that's Quanzo Martin. I mean, at some point you have to start winning with these guys, right? I mean, a fantastic recruiter, but if he can't win, what's the fucking point? There's no wonder he jumps around every three years, but I digress. Hamilton took care of business. Um, Missouri's done. Michael Porter Jr. actually hinted that he might be back next year. I don't believe that for a second, mind you, but um, it would be interesting to see Porter actually play at this level as a sophomore. Um, and that would be something that I would love because I'm not a huge NBA guy, I'm more of a college basketball guy. Um, I'd love to see Michael Porter play at the college basketball level, and I didn't get to do that a whole lot this year, so that kind of sucked. But we'll see what happens. I expect he goes, and he's probably the first top four pick. I think Bagley goes first, Aiton goes second, and then Porter's probably going to be in that conversation for three or four with Doncic, or Doncic, um, who is, by the way, insane. Of a, you know, just an incredible player. But anyway, uh, moving on, ACC, in probably the most predictable first game, uh, first round game upset, Miami loses to Loyola Chicago. This was not a difficult game to pick. I picked this. Lonnie Walker goes out, misses the front end of a one and one. Um, Loyola gets the rebound, runs down, and hits the trail man for a, a triple at the top of the key. He drills it for a two point win. Um, not a huge surprise. You know, when you get to the 6 11 games, um, seven, ten games, eight, nine games. These aren't really upsets, I don't think. Um, and especially when you look at how Miami played down the stretch. Yes, they won their last four games, but they won those games on with a combined total of eight points in, the, in those four games. You know, a couple were buzzer beaters or, or pretty damn close. Uh, a couple were, uh, you know, one was a, a mistake by the opposing team that turned into points for Miami. So it, it was... It was predictable. Loyal is a good team. You don't win 25 games while being a bad team. And Miami, it's funny when you look at the ACC tournament seedings, how did that team end up being number three? You know, it was basically through tiebreakers. How did North Carolina end up being a six? You know, it's it, it, it's crazy. You knew that, you know, going into that ACC tournament that Miami wasn't the third best team in that league. If you'd watched any games that they played this year, either without Bruce Brown, without Lonnie Walker, with both, without both, they just weren't good. They don't have good guard play. You know, Dewan Hewell's a madman, but they never get him the ball. Um, they pretty much come and go with Anthony Lawrence, who is, you know, their, their third option. And he was hot and cold a lot this year. And this, you know, this like I said, this, this wasn't a hard game to predict. And as, you know, lucky as I got on some of these picks, I didn't feel as lucky on that one. That one was easy. And then we come to history. I actually, <laughs> I, I haven't watched this entire game. Um, Virginia becomes the first number one seed in the history of this uh, current tournament format to lose to a 16 seed. Um, it, 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 I've been on Virginia all year. They were number one in my power rankings all year. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I saw this coming. I did not. I had them losing to Arizona in the Sweet 16, but... Uh, you know, right now I'm toast on that because Arizona lost too. So when you play like that, if a team gets hot on you and figures out that pack line defense and you don't have an offensive star or one of your stars is missing, hence, you know, the importance of DeAndre Hunter, which I wrote about the day before this tournament opened up, um, it, it has potential to be not good. 
and now they have um, the two of the most historic losses in college basketball as they lost as the number one way back uh, to Citadel or Chaminade, I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I probably shouldn't bring it up if I don't have my notes correct, but, um, you know, Virginia is a team that I thought they were efficient enough on offense that if they got behind somebody that was of lesser caliber than they were, that they could catch up. But when uh, Kyle Guy, Todd Jerome, and Don, uh, Devin Hall go 2 for 17 from deep, obviously bad things are going to happen. Then you don't have DeAndre Hunter, who's their best post-up player. He's not playing. He's out with a broken wrist. Isaiah Wilkins is not a guy who's going to get in there and give you 20 points. He might give you four steals. He might give you 12 rebounds and three blocks. But he's not going to give Virginia what they desperately needed that night, and that was points. And, you know, this wasn't a fluke play that won this game. They were beaten soundly. Um, they gave up 53 points in the second half the other night. They got beat by a 16 seed by 20 points. That is crazy. Now, I spoke on this a little bit before the tournament. Those three guys, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, Devin Hall, won a combined 6-27 in last year's tournament. Now, they didn't lose on the first night, but they lost on the second night. That was in over a two-game period. So right now, if these three guys, well, Devin Hall's a senior, but if Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy come back for their junior years, which I expect they will, they have a stigma that they're going to have to uh, dispel in the tournament when they get there next year because Virginia will be back. You know, they'll be a good team next year. They'll be in the dance again next year. These guys need to show up and show that they don't crumble under the spotlight. Um, after the game, I don't know if some of you guys saw, there was a reporter. I tried to get his name uh, for today's podcast, but unfortunately I could not, who actually asked Ty Jerome, who basically had his hands, uh, his head in his arms, laying on the table at the, at the press conference, if he was aware that a number one had never lost to a number 16. Okay, this is a, what, 20, 21-year-old kid that just made the bad kind of history as being the only number one team to ever lose to a 16 seed in the tournament, and you're going to ask that question. Now, it's pretty obvious that the guy phrased the question incorrectly. He should have just asked him flat out, do you think you overlooked the 16 seed? He didn't do that. He gave, you know, he left the door open for Jerome to give a very snarky, very fuck you kind of answer. And that's exactly what Ty Jerome did. Not in those exact terms, but the intent and the tone was there. And I don't blame him a bit. I thought that was a stupid question. Now, some people are actually talking about Tony Bennett's history in the tournament being a reason for him to be on the hot seat. Possible removal. Is he leaving? Uh, does Virginia have expectations that exceed his abilities? Mandis went 31-3, 17-1 in the ACC, and was the number one overall seed in the big dance. Does anybody remember where Virginia was at before Tony Bennett came to town? It wasn't good. Okay? This guy has made this program into a monster. And for anybody to think that he should be, he should be replaced is absolutely crazy. And this... People, look at all you have to do is look in your own conference. What did Pittsburgh do? Now, granted, um, you know Pittsburgh and Jamie Dixon. Jamie Dixon's last two recruiting classes were tremendously underwhelming, um, and and that marriage was failing. So you know maybe a move wasn't necessary there. They you know they compounded that by haul, uh, hiring Kevin Stallings, which is terrible, terrible uh, uh, hire, which has rectified itself. But 
before Tony Bennett came to town, you had Dave Lado, who won, whose best season was 21 and 11, and that was in 2006, 2007. The year before Bennett came to town, you guys were 10 and 18. The year before that, you were 17 and 16. Now, before Lado, we had Pete Gillen, whose best season was, looks like, 20 wins. And before that, you had Jeff Jones, which, you know, he went 11 and 19 in his final year. So, I mean, you're, you're, anybody who is, is talking about Tony Bennett leaving town is basically sounding like a spoiled brat right now. Be happy with where you're at. Only one team wins the championship this year. You know, now you will be remembered for losing in the first round to a 16 seed, but nobody remembers who lost to who in the second round. Okay, Nobody remembers the losers in this tournament outside, usually the championship game. But, you know, only one team... Only one team can win their last game in this tournament, and and unfortunately that's not you, but I think Tony Bennett gives you a better opportunity to do that in the near future than anybody you're going to go out and hire right now. And if Tony Bennett hits the free market right now, he's going to get $5 million from somebody. It's going to be insane. So keep him, do yourselves a favor. If you're a fan, you need to calm down, give yourself a week, go out, slug some bourbon, smoke a nice cigar, maybe maybe a little, uh, little green bud, something like that. You know, get your head together, get your shit together, and and enjoy the rest of this tournament. Um, it's not that big of a deal. Um, so far, as of today, I'm recording this at about 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Duke has been the only ACC team that's moved into the Sweet 16 with their win over Rhode Island yesterday. Um, that game wasn't close. Duke boat raced them. It looks as if uh, Gary Trent is is really taking. Uh, <laughs> um, Taking offense to not being named to the all-freshman team. That was a little bit crazy. Obviously, Grayson Allen wants to go out as the uh, BMOC. And those two forwards, Carter and Bagley, are just playing like their hair is on fire. Which, that would be a tragedy because they have fantastic hair. But, right now, Duke has been, I want to say, maybe the most impressive team to me. Outside of Villanova, who was awesome yesterday. And I've actually been really impressed by Texas Tech as well. But um, look for look for Duke to carry on. I, I think even if they get Michigan State, they're they're gonna they're gonna roll through Michigan State. I'm not really that impressed with the Spartans. But anyway, today's game for the ACC: uh, Clemson and Auburn, Florida State, Xavier, Syracuse, Michigan State, UNC, Texas A&M. Uh, I like Clemson uh, to beat Auburn today. I think Auburn is a pretender, uh, just a poser. Have been all season. Didn't play anybody and barely squeaked by Charleston in the first round. Uh, FSU and Xavier, I don't think there's any way that uh, FSU beats Xavier without Terrence Mann. I like Trevon Blewett to go ballistic today because Terrence Mann would most likely be guarding him. And even with Terrence Mann, Florida State gives up something like 80 points a night. So look for Xavier to score 93 points today and just smoke show Florida State. Uh, I expect Syracuse to lose to Michigan State. No shocker there. Uh, UNC Texas A&M is probably the most interesting game of the day when it comes to ACC teams. Um, that front court matchup with Tyler Davis and Robert Williams is going to be crazy. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching that game. I think UNC obviously has the advantage on the perimeter. I like UNC to move on from that game. Now, as far as my bracket goes that I released on the Selection Sunday special, nothing to be too proud of, uh, nothing really disappointing, uh, except for the fact that I lost uh, Arizona on the first damn day, and I had them in the finals, but 21-11 uh, and 11 in the first round, nothing to be really embarrassed about, not fantastic by any means either, uh, again, lost the finals team in Arizona, which is fairly embarrassing, 
and was actually helped probably by the UVA loss. So that, you know, a lot of people probably had UVA either winning the championship or coming out of that round. So I'm still still pretty confident that I'm going to have a fairly good bracket. Um, you know, the only people I have to, to, to fear now is uh, people who chose Kentucky uh, to possibly win it all or at least go to the Final Four, which Kentucky's road right now is 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 pretty clear. I think they've lost the 1-3, the one, three, five, and six out of their bracket right now. So uh, the only team that's really standing in their way is Cincinnati. I think uh, that'll be a weird matchup, but I'm looking forward to it if it does uh, come to fruition. I did pick the Loyola upset over Miami, but I did get the uh, New Mexico State uh, upset incorrect over Clemson. Uh, right now, as far as my Sweet 16 goes, uh, as far as teams that are currently in it, I'm a perfect eight for eight. So the eight teams that are in it are eight teams that I had in my Sweet 16. Uh, that'll obviously change today with UVA and Arizona that won't be moving on, but 14 of my 16 Sweet 16s are still alive, and three out of my final four are still alive. Uh, my champion, Duke, is obviously still alive. So that's just a little uh, a little bracket review. I'll probably do this again next week, uh, just to, uh, to keep you guys honest. But, uh, you know, not terrible. Fairly, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm in the 50th percentile, almost on the money, as I always am. It seems like uh, kind of wasteful to watch all this college basketball and I can't make any money on it in the tournament. But anyway, another big story that may be kind of flying under the radar with you guys is the exodus that is taking place at Pittsburgh right now. Uh, it all started with Parker Stewart. Let me grab a sip of water real quick. Um, all started with Parker Stewart uh, requesting his release, and he was followed by eight more players. I'm sorry, seven more players at the time um, that asked for and received their release, including again Stewart, Marcus Carr, Jared Wilson. Frame actually asked yesterday. He was the ninth player to receive his release. Uh, Shamil Stevenson and Ryan Luther. Now, Luther would have to apply for a waiver to play next year, which many suspect he'll receive, uh, regardless of where he goes. Um, also of note, uh, 2018 uh, forward Bryce Golden has also been released from his letter of intent. I have not seen anything um, regarding uh, their Juco point guard. Let me look it up real quick. Um, their Juco point guard, uh, Dansby, I believe his name is. Anyways, fairly good player. Um, I have not seen whether or not he, uh, he, he's been asked and granted his release. And, and just to be, you know, 100% clear here, this doesn't mean these players are gone. This just protects them uh, in, case they, uh, in case they go elsewhere. Uh, I'm sorry, in case they don't. Uh, in case they don't. I'm trying to multitask here, and it's just really not working out in my favor. Yeah, Daniel Kingsby, who's a Juco point guard, I have not heard whether or not he'll be, uh, you know, uh, reneging on his, uh, on his commitment. But, um, you know, basically protects the players in case they don't appreciate the new, the new hire. Uh, they're able to go elsewhere. Uh, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know um, whether or not they'll be able to petition to play immediately. I'm not, I can't remember. The NCAA seems to change every year as far as whether or not they allow immediate eligibility after transfer regarding a coaching uh, firing. Should they be able to? Absolutely. Um, this whole... Uh, we committed to the coach not uh, you need to commit to the school not the coach thing is ridiculous I mean, this is somebody you need to commit to the coach This is a guy you're gonna be dealing with every day for the next four years of your life potentially It's probably a good idea that you get along with him because that will affect your academics Obviously if you hate each other which you know Kevin Stallings It's it's crazy that all these players seem to love Kevin Stallings and so many of his players in the past seem to hate his guts but uh, so right now you have a situation where 
not unlike last offseason. You know, there were seven freshmen on this team, I believe, this year. Uh, Stallings kind of put it together with uh, duct tape and, uh, and, and Elmer's, you know, glue. It's going to be a hard job to sell. Now, the good thing is you have plenty of scholarships to give out, and now that all these players have been released from their commitments, you know, you can kind of pick and choose. And you don't have to go through the negative publicity of not renewing a player's scholarship. They've already asked and released, uh, asked for their release, so they're no longer obligated to return. You're no longer obligated to honor their scholarship. They've taken action first. You don't need to look bad taking action when you get rid of all of Kevin Stallings' shit players. Now, if you're a new coach coming in, certainly you want Stewart back, which uh, he originally, I, I think he is visiting Georgetown right now. Well, not right now, but he, he that's the first name that popped up was Georgetown. Uh, there's a couple of people that thought he should have been there in the first place. He had originally committed to Ole Miss and immediately left there. I'm not sure what the circumstances were there. I didn't dig too hard, but I couldn't really find anything either. Um, Marcus Carr is a player I think you can build around. Shamil Stevenson is an interesting player. I don't know if he's a stud, but uh, he, he'd probably be a good role player in the ACC. Again, those three. I've, have always been the three guys I talk about when I talk about Pittsburgh and their future. Uh, moving on to the Pittsburgh coaching search, which has gotten a little bit weird. Uh, they were kind of shunned this week by Tom Crean. I don't know if Crean was ever actually intent on going to the ACC. I'm not sure he was ever intent on going to um, Pittsburgh, but he ended up going to Georgia for six years and $3.2 million per I'm sure he in some way used Pittsburgh to up his Georgia offer. Georgia has money to lose, money to burn with uh, the success of their football program. So they certainly showed it there. I'm not a big believer in Crean. I would have loved to see him come to Pittsburgh as a fan of a fellow ACC member. Um, Crean's an interesting bird, and I'm going to talk about him just a little bit more here in a second. Uh, Pittsburgh, though, you know... Uh, Matthew over at the ACC Weekly Podcast is really high on their AD, Heather Like, and, you know, her work at, at Eastern Michigan's, you know, and their football program certainly speaks volumes. But if she is serious and the reports of uh, Pittsburgh's interest in Ryan Odom at UMBC are true, I have to seriously question her acumen as far as college basketball goes. Uh, you can't go. I don't think you can go after Ryan Odom. That that's going to get you run out of town. I think that. I, I mean, I know he just beat Virginia. Okay, in case you guys don't know, Ryan Odom's the coach of UMBC. They just upset Virginia in the first round. According to USA Today, they have Pittsburgh has interest in Ryan Odom. Now he's still playing in the tournament. Um, expect that to come to a screeching halt today. Um, but you can't hire this guy. Uh, if you guys don't know, Odom is the son of long-term Wake Forest or long-time. Wake Forest coach Dave Odom, uh, also the coach of South Carolina for a bit when he when he closed out his career. Uh, I think it would be a terrible hire. Uh, UM, UMBC needed a buzzer beater just to get out of the America East tournament to make the dance. Now, once they got there, obviously, they came up with the craziest upset you've ever seen that's ever happened in this tournament, okay, that we've ever seen in the one-and-done era. That's the craziest upset by far you've ever seen. Notre Dame, that doesn't compare. Um, the only thing that may be comparable is the Miracle on Ice, I don't think so. I think this is the, the biggest upset in the history. I mean, this is the number one team in the country. Number one team in the tournament, number one team in the country, number one team in the what I think is the best basketball conference in the country. This is craziness. I mean, these guys come from the America East. Okay, the America East is the 23rd ranked conference according to the RPI, according to warrennolan.com. Uh, 
this guy, he just isn't there yet. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'm just saying he's not there yet. He uh, he filled in for Allen Major at UNC Charlotte when Major took a uh, indefinite leave of absence from the program, and Odom went 8-11. Now, granted, UNC Charlotte's not some powerhouse, but, you know, that's his that's the extent of his experience at a high major program. He has a 74-44 and 44 career coaching record, so he's only, you know, he's less than 125 games deep. Well, at, you know, overall, yeah. So, I just, I, you know, he, he's got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of glitz and glamour on him right now, but it's one game. I mean, the America East, you're going to jump from the AE to the ACC? That's crazy. Now, he was born in Durham, so he knows North Carolina, assuming he has some sort of contacts. He's a long-term assistant at Virginia Tech from 2003 to 2010. I just don't think he has the experience to make that jump. Now, moving on in the coaching search, Duke eliminated URI yesterday, so obviously Dan Hurley's in play now. Now, yesterday he said he ain't talking about who has any openings after a loss like that, which I admire. Um, you know, his kids are there. He's got seniors. E.C. Matthews is there playing his last game, and, you know, everybody wants to talk about coaching. You know, imagine the balls, the gall it takes to try to get that man to talk about him leaving that school for more money, basically, while his players just played their heart out and got torched by probably the best team in the country. So, you know, big ups to Dan Hurley. I thought that was that was a fantastic response to those questions yesterday. Um, I don't think he's going to Pittsburgh. I think UConn is the answer. Everybody thinks UConn is the answer. I think the dark horse candidate is Seton Hall. Um, I'm not sure that Kevin Willard is going to be back there. I don't know. I don't really have anything to substantiate that, but it's I've heard it discussed on other podcasts. And certainly Willard has a fairly tumultuous uh, past and relationship with the powers that be at Seton Hall. Um, I think he's probably looking to jump ship. And remember, Dan Hurley's family is from New Jersey. His father is a legend in New Jersey. So, you know, certainly some talent coming out of New York and out of New Jersey these days. He, If he can, you know, tap into that pipeline, then uh, he can make Seton Hall very successful. I think right now, of the of the jobs that are open and the jobs that could potentially be open, Pittsburgh is deep into that list. Uh, since their move to the ACC from the Big East, they don't recruit New York very well. Even Dixon had a hard time pulling recruits out of New York after that move. So it's going to be interesting. Personally, I think Steve Forbes or Tim Kluis might be the best option if they're interested. Um, I can't imagine a lot of people are interested in that job right now. Now, Forbes has a little bit of stank on him from uh, from when he was an assistant elsewhere uh, under Bruce Pearl. But, you know, I think Forbes is a great coach. He's kept his nose clean, <laughs> as far as I know, while he's been at Eastern Tennessee State. Um, Tim Kluis, three, uh, three straight MAC titles at Iona, I think is a good coach. Now, you might say, well, how can you say – you know, no Ryan Odom from the America East, but you can say Tim Kluis from the MAC. Well, you know, Tim Kluis has also run 300 games as a head coach at Division One. So, you know, I, I have zero belief that that Dan Hurley's going there. I have, if there is less than zero belief, that's what I have when when talking about Sean Miller and Ben Howland going back to Pittsburgh. You know, if they loved Pittsburgh so much, they never would have left in the first place. Okay. They left for greener pastures. I think right now, with the way that Arizona's, um, uh, I guess, organization has, has or department, athletic department, has st stood behind Miller, it would be really weird if he left. 
Now, I can see Howland leaving, because I don't think Ben Howland gives a fuck what anybody thinks about him. Um, but he had a pretty pretty good season at Mississippi State. He continues to run off very good players, but, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, they won 20-plus games this year. They went to the NIT. I think he has that program going in the right direction. He can recruit like a son of a bitch. Um, and he's got Corey McRae there, which is also, you know, as an assistant who is a fantastic recruiter. I just don't see him going to Pittsburgh. I, I don't, and I don't see him replicating the type of success he had, especially after that story came out um, when he was at UCLA. So, you know, I think you go either young and ambitious. Um, uh, you know, Steve Forbes and Tim Kloos don't really fit that mold particularly, but I also would be okay with that kind of hire because I think those are very good coaches. Now, obviously, I've seen some stuff lately where a lot of people aren't too high on Brandon Knight coming back. I think that's still the most possible answer given money that you know money is everything in college sports yeah yeah just said that and you know let that sink in for a minute they just paid i don't know if they're still negotiating but a 9.4 million dollar buyout for kevin stallings can't leave a school like pittsburgh flush with cash uh, unless they have a big donor that hasn't been reported yet i think you know forbes clueless brandon knight i don't think they have the money for dan hurley I know. I think that's another reason he doesn't go there. I just with 1.9, you know, 1.7, 1.9. That's that's G Tech money while they were still paying two buyouts. So Pittsburgh, I think they're setting their sights a little high. What you want to do, but I'd ultimately, I think they're 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 going to go young, up and comer, and I think their fan base is going to be a little bit underwhelmed. But let's move on. Spent more than enough time on fucking Pittsburgh athletics. So I'm going to move into ACC powerhouse Georgia Tech, who didn't have any postseason and won 13 games this year. And one thing I want to talk about, Ron Bell, Mr. ACCBR Douchebag of the Year, okay, was arrested in Arizona. Now, I've talked about the story a couple times. Um, if you're new to the show, I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, before the season, Josh Kogi Tadrick Jackson was suspended from Georgia Tech but for receiving benefits from a friend of the program uh, in the form of shoes, uh, apparel, I believe, uh, airplane tickets, things like that. They, they spent a weekend in Arizona at this man's house, Ron Bell, who's a realtor in Arizona. Um, and there was a story that was released along with a radio interview by Memphis journalist Gary Parrish uh, regarding you know, allegations of, of everything when it comes to uh, Josh Pastner at both Memphis and Georgia Tech. I mean, this guy claimed that he picked out Josh Pastner's ties, he picked out uh, Josh Pastner's suits, he recruited on Pastner's behalf by giving gifts and things like that. All of this stuff, I think maybe has some semblance of truth, but I don't think quite in the fashion that he's portraying it. Uh, Bell is a felon uh, who struggled with uh, substance abuse and certain health issues that apparently Pastner helped him through and he's going through some rough, rough spots in his life. Uh, for, you know, during that process, they obviously developed some kind of friendship, and Passner gave him access to both the Memphis program and the Georgia Tech program when he was hired there. Um, I guess the, uh, you know, there's been different reports on why or how the relationship kind of went bad, but the, the most consistent thing I've heard from people that are associated with Georgia Tech is the relationship showered, uh, soured when Passner apparently didn't call Bell on his birthday. But even before that, there was an incident where uh, Passner didn't allow Bell and uh, his girlfriend, Jennifer Pendley, immediate access into the dining room area where they could eat with the team. Now, that resulted in some kind of spat, some kind of argument with Passner's assistant. Passner then basically told them to chill the fuck out and took his assistant's side, you know, be nice to her, be nice to these people that are associated with this program. And Bell got a hair across his ass. So before the season, 
um, he releases this evidence, I guess. Um, and, and there was, you know, legitimate stuff. Akogi and Jackson were at this man's house. Now, it really speaks to somebody's character when you, uh, when you're the one providing benefits, and then you basically incriminate yourself and make it known that you're a scumbag by endangering children's futures. As far I know, you know, no, you know, Tadger Jackson doesn't have a future in the NBA, but Tadger Jackson has a future in in uh, in professional basketball somewhere. I believe he's that kind of ability. Uh, same for Josh Kogi, who's currently testing uh, the NBA waters. Now, to be the one that provides those those gifts, those extra benefits, and then also be the one that calls the NCAA. I mean, I think that speaks to the kind of person that you are on top of the fact that you have a substance abuse problem that you've served time for. Now, this all came about in November, right before the season started. Um, in January, Passner filed a defamation lawsuit against Bell and against Penley and Georgia Tech hired legal counsel. Bell and Penley then responded with an allegation that Passner had sexually assaulted Penley in a hotel room in 2016 while Bell was in the shower. You know, this resulted in Penley and Bell on the staircase of what I would assume is a courthouse and, you know, Ron Bell looking like a dirtbag and Penley blatting her eyes out but no tears were evident, which was definitely strange. Um, I th and now we get into the, the current situation is, and the best part of the story is, that sheriffs in Arizona were tipped off by a private investigator that Bell was a, had a fugitive warrant in Georgia. So I read that the I read originally I think that the uh, the warrant was for theft, um, but there have been more publications that have come out since that said that the reason for the for the warrant is unknown. So right now I'm going to go with unknown. Um, certainly there was allegations of you know drug relation uh, related to drug activity related to theft. I don't know if those are true, and I can't really speak to that right now. Um, unfortunately. The story is crazy, and I don't think it's far from over, but I think it's pretty obvious that GTEC and Passner had something to do with this PI in Arizona uncovering this information in Georgia and then notifying sheriffs in Tucson. And I love it, because the allegations about the players and the gifts and the sneakers and the plane trips, I, I, I have no doubt that that stuff is true. I also don't have any... I'm 95% I'm sure that Passner isn't lying when he says he didn't know that Akogi and Jackson were out there. They are out there for a weekend. Passner has never done anything in his professional life that makes me question his integrity. Uh, other people speak very highly of him, people that he crosses paths with. I think he's very well respected in the coaching community. Um, I, you know, I, I know for a fact that he doesn't cheat. He's not a bag man. He doesn't have a bag man like uh, like some people directly north of here. Which, if you have yet, if you haven't seen the picture on my Twitter, go to my Twitter at Pecon36 and look through my timeline for a picture of um, uh, Jeff Cable with some kind of musical artist, I believe, on campus at Duke, and he actually hashtagged it with Duffel Bag Bros. Hey, you know. I'm not saying Jeff Gable drops bags, but I'm kind of saying he drops bags. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is this puts, you know, the Georgia Tech program kind of under a spotlight, which when you're rebuilding, you really don't want. And, it, you know, the program's kind of struggling now. Their best player is is testing the NBA waters. Ben Lammers just graduated. Tadger Jackson just left, uh, graduated. It, it's just, it's a bad look. Um... I, I love the fact that Ron Bell's in jail right now. I think, and I think that this accusation by Penley is ridiculous. 
I think sexual assault is a serious problem in this country right now, but I also think it's a very easy accusation to throw around that has an immediate guilty verdict in the court of public opinion. So that's unfortunate for Josh. Uh, I continue to be on his side, continue to support him being the coach at Georgia Tech. But it's something you definitely probably want to monitor. It's, it's a pretty wild story. It's a pretty entertaining story if you're not associated with the Georgia Tech program. I think everybody associated with the G-Tech program as far as fans and faculty and things like that are probably sick and tired of this story and wish it would just go away. One thing I want to touch on, I'm going to, I'm going to jump out of the ACC real quick. Uh, there's a couple things I want to take a look at, and then I'm going to go through today's tournament matchups. I'm going to take off my ACC hat and go nationwide right now. One particular thing has caught my eye, and with the Tom Crean hire at Georgia, Jonas Hayes is now kind of a free agent, which if you don't know who Jonas Hayes is, he is uh, an assistant with Georgia, uh, been there since 2013. Let me grab some water. He recruits high-level talent. He's the guy that brought in Ashton Hagens, who was recently decommitted from Georgia. He's the guy that brought in Elias King, who was recently decommitted to Georgia. Uh, I believe he was also the guy who pulled in Rashawn Hammonds last year. He recruits Georgia like nobody else, with the exception of Carlton Young at Florida State, in my opinion. Um, this guy is going to be in very high demand, I think, because Georgia is a hotbed of top 100 talent as far as basketball goes. Um, Crean has spoken to him, but not um, met with him face-to-face. -face. He has intimated that he would be interested in keeping him on the staff. I think he'd be a fool not to, but there's obviously maybe some suspicion there that Hayes may be disgruntled because Hayes was I think a legitimate option to be hired as as a head coach at Georgia I think he would have been a better option than Crean I am not big on this hire I wish Tom Crean had come to the ACC because that would be a team that we would have a better coach than at the at the Georgia Tech campus so keep an eye on Jonas Hayes this guy is a fantastic recruiter okay any team that gets him is going to see an immediate uptick in their recruiting prowess and he's also known to be a clean recruiter okay for all his deficiencies, Mark Fox was known as a guy that would not allow his teams to drop bags. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna connect some dots here. You're gonna remember that there was a Georgia assistant who will remain nameless that left Georgia for Alabama, and then all of a sudden Alabama gets Colin Sexton. Okay. There was rumors that that Georgia assistant left Georgia because Mark Fox would not allow him to drop bags. Okay, you can you know, connect any dots you want and complement any names. These are just things that I hear. Okay, people talk to me. Okay, I'm a nice guy. I'm a good guy. So, you know, Mark Fox is known to be a clean guy, which means that Jonas Hayes more than likely was known to be a clean guy, and Jonas Hayes is still recruiting Georgia at a high level when other people are dropping bags. You know, planes are leaving Raleigh-Durham and dropping bags all over the country. Jonas Hayes ain't doing that, and the most talent-rich state in the country as far as high school basketball goes. So keep an eye on Jonas Hayes, keep an eye on the program he goes to, and then monitor their recruiting because I guarantee it's going to tick up and they're going to start pulling quality recruits out of Georgia. Now, you know, five-star guys, four-star guys, high four-star guys, still going to go to Carolina, still going to go to Duke. I mean, those, those, those programs are, you know, historically fantastic. You're going to see yourself with a lot of success at those programs. But there's also a lot of deep talent in Georgia, high three-star, low four-star guys you can build a program around.
Okay, that's enough about Georgia basketball and Jonas Hayes. By the way, if anybody's wondering, yes, I hope he goes to Georgia Tech. Absolutely. I hope he's the replacement for Daryl LeBerry. It would be the best hire that we've made since we hired Bobby Kremens, I think. Okay, moving on. Another national story that I want to talk about a little bit, and that is Tubby Smith being bought out at Memphis for $10 million, and Penny Hardaway apparently is coming to town, or staying in town, I should say. Um, Penny Hardaway, obviously the former NBA superstar with the Orlando Magic before knee injuries took him down, is you know an AAU coach in Memphis who is apparently going to replace Tubby Smith and bring Larry Brown with him to, to, to Memphis as an assistant. Now, you can't argue with that. I mean, you can argue with Penny. You can't argue with Larry Brown. I mean, you can argue with Larry Brown as well because he's filthy, dirty, and he's going to get your, your, your program in trouble, I think. But he's also 77 at this point. He might be a fantastic tactician. He might just be grumpy and say, fuck it, I'm, I'm done with all this nonsense. I'm done being dirty. I just want to coach a little bit. Cool. Okay, you can certainly argue with Penny Hardaway. He's never coached at the Division One level. Certainly not at a high Division One level like the AAC. Um, now, the most interesting part of this is not that Penny Hardaway has never coached at Division One. The most interesting part is who is Penny Hardaway bringing with him? Okay, Penny Hardaway runs one of the most successful AAU programs in the entire country. Team Penny, um, which used to be Team Bluff City, I believe. They run with Nike on the EYBL circuit. Now, some just a, a handful of names, okay, that he has connections to. Malcolm Dandridge is a four-star power forward, number 117 on 247 in the 19 class, I think. 19, yeah. Uh, his boy, Penny's boy, not Dandridge's boy. That'd be weird if Dandridge had a kid, same age as he was. Uh, Jaden Hardaway, obviously Penny's son, 6'4", shooting guard. Right now he's only a two-star, but... 6'4", two guard, he's got good good length, good height, you know, he's Penny's boy, he's going to end up playing for Penny if Penny goes to Memphis. Then you get into some serious, uh, some serious boys here. DJ Jeffries, also out of Memphis, four star, number 26 nationally, uh, small forward in the 2019 class. He is a hard commit to Kentucky as of last week, but 2019 is a long ways away. I mean, typically players don't shun John Calipari, but this kid plays, you know, in Memphis. He's from Memphis. Penny's his coach. You know, you can see why he wouldn't go to Tubby. Tubby's old school for sure. But Penny might be right in this kid's ear. You know, let's put the band back together. Let's put these AAU, this this stud AAU roster. Let's put this these guys back together and just blow through the AAC. Uh, another kid, you probably if the name sounds familiar, there's a reason for that. Chandler Lawson. Four-star, class of 2019, number 40 nationally. His brothers, Diedrich and KJ, are former Memphis players that are currently redshirting at Kansas. Uh, right now, um, Crystal Ball has him going to Kansas. Again, these ties run deep. Uh, his father, Keelan Lawson, is still in Memphis coaching at the high school level, I believe, right now. I, I can't confirm that, or haven't confirmed that. I probably could if I wanted to. I'd rather just fly by the seat of my pants and speak nonsense. But Lawson, again, a player, you know, from Memphis that's been playing for Penny for a long time. This kid's a fantastic player. If you haven't seen him, go to YouTube, look him up. He's a really good player. And then, you know, the crown jewel of the 2019 class, uh, James Wiseman, who's the number one player in the country, the number one player overall, the number one player in the composite. 
every recruiting service has James Wiseman as the number one player in the 2019 class. He's a 6'11", 210-pound center. He's a fucking monster. Okay. Immediately, I think Memphis becomes the favorite. Now, obviously, you know, uh, Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke are all over this kid. And right now, they're the only two in the crystal ball. Memphis is nowhere really, nowhere really to be seen. Hold on. Agua. Um, but I think that's going to change quickly. Uh, Penny also has ties to point guard Alex Lomax and center Trey Jamison. Both are three stars. Lomax is a top 150 player who is currently committed to Wichita State, and Jamison is a center currently committed to Clemson. Both of them are in the 2018 class. I don't know if those will change, those situations. Uh, obviously, Wichita State is a very good program right now. Clemson also a pretty good program right now. Uh, Jamison not really... Uh, I don't think he's a real stud player. He's kind of a project big man who will probably show up in his junior and senior year as a, as a player. But Memphis is also a team that is built currently on JUCOs and almost low-major um, Division One talent with fantastic coaching. Because make no mistake, Tubby Smith is a fantastic coach. Okay, He's just he's not going to pull in four or five-star guys. And the most important thing to Memphis fans that live in Memphis seems to be that Memphis players go to Memphis and play. They want a strong representation of their city at their college, which, you know, that's that's not uh, that's not crazy. That's not a crazy thing to ask for. Uh, Tubby Smith is pro was just probably a bad fit in Memphis. You know, when I think when I think Tubby Smith, I'm thinking Lubbock, Texas. I'm thinking Minnesota. You know, other stops that he's made, I think those were far better fits. But also, Tubby Smith's getting up there in age, and they just gave him ten million dollars to go away. You know, that guy danced right out the front door, left his shit, didn't pack any boxes. That guy's gone, smell you later, right into retirement. Um, speaking of retirement, is also reported that Kevin Stallings was, is retiring from college basketball with $9.4 million in your pocket. Why wouldn't you? Go buy an island and hang out on it and do blow off some hooker's ass. So, that's, that's you know, when you, t when you, when you see that Penny Hardaway has been hired at Memphis and it's coming, it's happening, it's it's you know, definitely something that is a foregone conclusion at this point. Um, and yes, me stuttering is trying to find the word foregone or the term foregone conclusion there and drew a complete blank. But it's going to happen. So this is why, okay? It's not because he's a fantastic AAU coach. You don't hire people for being fantastic AAU coaches. But you might hire him if he's just going to start bringing in, you know, four or five-star guys every year. Now, Calipari was the last guy to do that. Calipari had tremendous success in Memphis with kids from Memphis. So, you know, it, it could lead to, to great results, especially if you have a coach that, you know, I joke about Larry Brown and how dirty he is, and he is, but he's also a really good coach, and he's won everywhere he's been. So this is something to keep your eye on. It, it's really interesting to me, even though I'm a fan of the ACC, and that's predominantly what I, what I have my attention on. You know, that's a, that's a cool story in Memphis. I feel bad for Tubby, but not really when he's got $10 million in his pocket. I thought he got a raw deal. It was a bad fit. It never should have took the job in the first place. All right, to wrap up the show today, I'm going to go through today's tournament matchups. I'd also like to say one more time that the eight teams in the Sweet 16 currently are eight teams that I picked, so I am eight for eight right now. I'm going to plug that real quick before it all goes to hell today. All right, so... Uh, we'll kick off the day with Butler and Purdue. I like Purdue, despite the loss of Isaac Haas. And for those of you who don't know, the seven foot two center fractured his elbow. And it was lost for the rest of the tournament. There was speculation yesterday that he'd be able to play with a brace on his arm. I think he has been ruled out by Matt Painter since then. I still like Purdue in this game. I love Carson Edwards. 
Uh, he's got a tough matchup today with Kamar Baldwin, who is a really good defensive point guard. Uh, obviously, Keelan Martin is a really good player for Purdue, but that matchup with Vince Edwards is interesting as well. Uh, Dakota Mathias, if he has a big game today, which I suspect he will, I, I think uh, that Purdue's going to win here. Also, something to keep an eye on is the effectiveness of freshman point guard Aaron Thompson for, uh, for Butler. He rolled his ankle twice in the game last week, or in the game on opening day, or Friday. So keep an eye on that. Uh, I think this lines up pretty well for Purdue, but their long-term and uh, aspirations are definitely going to be affected by Isaac Haas. And you can't help but think about a few years ago when they were one of the top three or four teams in the country, they lost Robbie, Robbie Hummel to a knee injury. So Butler seems a little bit snake bit as far as uh, tournaments go lately. But moving on. Syracuse, Michigan State. I like Michigan State. No shock there. I think Syracuse, brief run as a Cinderella is up. And by the way, winning two games, one of them being a playing game, does not solidify the fact that you're a tournament team. It doesn't It doesn't say that you should be in the tournament. It just means that you won two games after you got here because you played shit teams. Uh, TCU, not a fantastic team in my eyes. Uh, Arizona State, certainly not. Um, I think they were way overblown beginning of the season. I did like their guard play. I did like their senior leadership. Uh, Romello White's a kid I've been a fan of since he was in high school. Um, but, you know, this doesn't this doesn't erase the fact that you guys played terribly over the course of the season. And Syracuse fans keep the hate mail coming. I love it. Texas A&M, UNC, this is probably the most interesting game of the day for me. I like UNC, but the front court matchup's really crazy. And, um, you know, it's something that really holds my interest. I think UNC might have to go big today, which means... You're going to see less of Luke May at the 5 and Cameron Johnson at the 4. I think you're going to see more of May at the 4 and Sterling Manley at the 5. And I still don't know if you can stop Robert Williams and Tyler Davis. Tyler Davis is going to eat up Sterling Manley. But at the same time, Texas A&M has not been, has not been uh, impressive since the very early going of the season. Um, you know, they had some suspensions. They lost some players. They had some injuries. Just really haven't recovered. Now, they did get by Providence, which Providence, I don't really know what was going on there. Uh, I think I picked Providence. But Makai Ashton, uh, Ashton Langford didn't play for Providence in that game, and I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't find out why. He's sometimes a little spark plug for them. He's a freshman point guard that I really like. But anyway, I think Joel Berry steps up today. I think Cameron Johnson steps up today. Theo Pinson's been a monster recently. I think uh, UNC moves on today. Uh, Nevada, Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati. Nevada did not impress me against Texas, but Mo Bomb, I'm sorry, Matt Coleman did. And even Mo Bomb did, really. I mean, the length that he has, the ability to block shots that he has, he is just a crazy talent. And Matt Coleman was my first kind of extended viewing of Matt Coleman the other day. Matt Coleman's a really good point guard for Texas. I hope he sticks around. I think uh, Shaka Smart has found his point guard to build around. Uh, not quite the defensive level, obviously, as Briante Weber at uh, Virginia Commonwealth. But Matt Coleman's a damn good place to start. I really like that kid a lot. Uh, Clemson and Auburn. I like Clemson by double digits. I think Auburn is a pretender. Uh, barely getting by a COC, which COC is a good team. Uh, Earl Grant's a good coach with a bright future. But, uh, you know, Auburn... They're just they're they're fake, you know. And then losing uh, losing uh, Anthony Mclemore late in the season, you know, it's just Clemson's done. I, I think I used to think Bruce Pearl's a good coach. I don't know if I still think that. Um, you know, I, I was I was in favor of hiring him at G Tech after a show cause, but you know, that didn't come to fruition. He went to Auburn, which doesn't really help his his. Uh, 
how people view him. And yes, I'm, I'm drawing another blank. Um, I just he's just like a dirty guy in a dirty place. You know, they say Florida is a sunny place for shady people. Uh, Bruce Pearl's a shady guy that went to a shady place. So I just I, anyway, long story short, I think Auburn's toast here. I think Clemson the way they shoot the ball, and if those three guards, Devoe Mitchell and Marquise Reed, play like they did the other night, Auburn has no chance. Uh, UMBC versus Kansas State. What's interesting here is the 16 seeds never lost in the second round. History of the tournament, 16 seeds never, never lost in the second round. I think the first time will be today. Kansas State moves on to the Sweet 16. Florida State Xavier, again, I don't think there's any way Florida State wins this game without Terrence Mann. Uh, Terrence Mann, he's not expected to play as of last night. You know, MJ Walker could step up, score 30. Phil Kofor could step up, score 30. Um, PJ Savoy could go out there and hit six threes. You know, these are all things that could possibly happen. But I think the biggest example of why Florida State's going to lose this game is on the other side of the ball. Unlike Missouri, which is freshman-laden with talent, Xavier's talent is on the other side. You know, J.P. Mercura and uh, Trevon Blewett, these are seniors. You know, Trevon Blewett's... I, I don't know how he could be one of the most underrated players in the country, but it seems like people don't talk about him very often. He is awesome. He's one of the most entertaining players to watch play. He's just... Kind of no-nonsense, kind of, he just, unassuming. He, he's awesome to watch play. And I, you know, I love Chris Mack as a coach. I, I hope Xavier moves on because I love watching Xavier play. Trevon Blue is one of my favorite top five players to watch play today. So, moving on. Marshall against West Virginia. I'm not ready to bet against Javon Carter. Uh, I don't think Javon Carter is ready to be done. Marshall is a great story. And to those that called that upset, more power to you. Uh, Wichita State, what a fucking disappointment. I mean, making they, I mean, they were the darlings of the offseason, which is why we play the games, right? Um, as far as their move to the AEC, they're going to get better seeding, they're going to get better opponents, they're going to play better games, they're going to go deeper in the tournament, they're going to make more money, they're going to be a power program, right? And then they show up and they lose in the first round, which... Greg Marshall's kind of a dick, so maybe this takes him down a notch. Um, yeah, I'm okay with it. I, I'd be okay with either one. I'm probably going to watch this game too because uh, talk about a contrast in styles. Uh, you know, Marshall's up and up and go, shoot threes, score a ton of points. Um, I can't believe that game wasn't 100 to 101 in the first round of Wichita State. But West Virginia, obviously, press Virginia. You know, Kanate on the backside, um, the freshman West. You know, with, uh, I think I just fucked that up. I don't think his name's West. The kid out of Georgia who can shoot like a motherfucker. But um, Baxter Miles, uh, Javon Carter, you know, senior leadership in the backcourt, and they played defense. You know, I think Carter had four steals in the first 38 seconds the other night. I just, you know, the the Cinderella story's nice. The the first round upset's nice. But now you're playing, you're playing some teams now. You're playing Javon Carter. <laughs> Guy's been a legend for like five and a half years at the at the D1 level. So, I like I like West Virginia to move on today. Those are the eight teams. Obviously, I'm going to lose uh, Arizona and Virginia today, even though I already lost them. It doesn't become official in my Sweet 16 till today. So, I'm shooting for 14 and 16 today. Somehow, this show that I only meant to go about 40 minutes today has turned into an hour and five. Apologies for that, but you know, hopefully it was entertaining. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Hopefully, you guys enjoy the game today. It's a beautiful Sunday in. Uh, in eastern North Carolina right now. I'm going to go out and uh, do some work on the house, do some work on the driveway, 
I'm going to jump on Call of Duty because there's always some Nazis uh, that need killing on there. And then I'm going to sit down, order a pizza, and watch some games. Hope you guys join me. Hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.